whether we should skip the chant this morning. Um, <clears throat> I think we will. I want to kind of start. Usually we chant a Japanese chant this morning, but enough with oddity today. Um, I'd like to welcome you all. I think you're um, students from John's class. Is that right? And he made you come. <laughs> <Did he? laughs> Do you get extra credit at least? You do. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> great. Well, it's great to have you. It's really great to have you. Um, you probably speak dozens of languages. I only speak one. I'm so sorry. I speak only English. And also, um, um, I guess, I don't know, unfortunately, today I want to talk a little bit about death. And um, I'll tell you why. But So I hope that <laughs> it's not only odd, but terribly morose and <laughs> depressing <laughs> to be here. Apologize. Well, I hope you feel welcome. So that's something. Okay. My name is Tia, and um, uh, here we go. Okay. All right. Did you talk about what a great day we had Saturday yet? Well, we had a great day Saturday. We raised way more money than we thought we could for the Awake Youth Program, which is terrific. And um, I wanted to thank, in particular, Yael. I don't know if she's been thanked enough. So, Oh, there she is. All right. Because you had the idea and the original um, development committee energy person. And Thanks. So um, my job, really, in some way, as teacher is to walk with everybody through birth and death mm. and just live life together. And life is uh, full of change and surprises. And sometimes they come out of left field. And sometimes what comes out of left field is death. And so um, my job is to walk with you in life and death, in birth and death. Uh, pointing all the time to freedom, to our practice, to encourage you to practice freedom in the midst of birth and death. And the reason why I wanted to talk about it today is because on Wednesday night, I got a call from my nephew telling me that my sister, who has had Alzheimer's for a long time, is in the last stages of that disease. And um, she was taken to the hospital. And evidently, in the last stages of that disease, you forget how to swallow, for some people. They forget how to swallow and chew and swallow and drink and swallow. So she was very dehydrated and uh, weak, and her kidneys were not in good shape. So they took her to the hospital, and 
rehydrated her and she's balanced. And I got a call from my nephew um, this last night, very late. He forgot he lives in California and I live in New York, so he called way too late. Saying that she, you know, is a little bit more, her body is more perky, but her mind really isn't there still. So that she really didn't recognize my nephew, her son. And, um, but she's comfortable. So that's a good thing. And on Wednesday, when I thought, <laughs> so, so what life is like, on Wednesday, when um, I first found out that she was um, dying then and will die within the next couple of weeks, um, I was very grief stricken, of course, because I love her and she's fun and funny. And, um, but then last night when he called and she was doing better, and I, you know, I, she wasn't dying. <laughs> so I didn't feel unhappy at all. And that's how life is. You know, it's really important for us to stay on the page where our life is really happening. And when there are things that happen that are sad, then it's appropriate to be sad. You know, we don't make a drama about it. We don't suppress it. But if something happens that's sad, then sadness is there. But if the next moment somebody calls you and tells you that what you were sad about actually isn't happening, then it's fine to be happy. And then you're happy. And then when I get the next call, maybe I'll have to go to California and then I'll be sad again. <laughs> but it's really important to stay on the page where your life is really happening. And then it's authentic and live and real. And we can live there. And even though it might be painful, it's not suffering. So I want to start my talk with a um, poem by 16th century poet John Donne, who I was um, fascinated by when I was young, because um, it's about death. And my mother was dying then. That was my first introduction to death. And this is the poem. Death, be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkest thus does overthrow, don't die, poor death, nor yet canst thou kill me. From rest and sleep, which by thy pictures be much pleasure, and then from thee much more must flow. And soon our best people with thee will go, rest of their bones and souls deliver. Thou art slave to fate, chance, kings, and desperate men, and do with poison, war, and sickness dwell. And poppies and charms can make us sleep as well, and better than thy stroke. So why swellest thou then, puffed up? One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. 
I guess at that time I was looking for um, some way to understand my mom's death. She died too soon and earlier than I was ready for. So I was looking for something to grab, I think. But I think most of us know now that we can't escape death. And there's no running away from loss. That life is constantly changing. And if we're not there with the change, or if we're grabbing on, thinking that we can stop birth and death, we suffer. We can't beat the universe. Too big. We lose. One of the great things of um, living in Africa was that you could see birth and death all the time, because there are animals all around. And animals are birthing and deathing and sexing and everything all the time. And you can watch. And if you've ever seen an animal die, it's really different than human beings. You know, we have lots of ideas about death. Animals don't have any ideas about death. They just relax. They get really relaxed, and they die. And you can see, if you look in their eyes, same thing happened to my mother, actually, when I think about it. You know, when you look at somebody, they're right there, right? You're right there. I see you right there. And as, as the person dies, the life force begins to fade back. Back and 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 back. Gone. And that's a good death. You know, that's a death where you give up and you meet what's inevitable without resistance and fighting. The next person in my life who died was um, Mickey, a really good friend of mine. I used to go to uh, school with her, junior high. We were in the same carpool. We hated the same people. (laughs) And said so. (laughs) She died really young, and she had two young sons. And she fought every step of the way. It was really hard to watch. And she lost. She left two young sons. One was um, 10 and the other 14. Buddhists um, understand death to be two sides of the same coin. They're not different, really. Birth and death are the same process. If there weren't any death, um, you know, the birth couldn't happen. Everything is changing all the time. If you exhale, you have to inhale, or you can't exhale again. <laughs> so. In Buddhism, we see birth and death as life, as a whole, as a whole. We can't, like, cut off something we don't like. Then we lose the rest of it. 
we really think about it carefully, when we notice our life, we know that this is true. Death is woven into the very fabric of our being. All the time we're experiencing little deaths. Little deaths, big deaths, little losses, big losses. Every time we defend ourselves, we have felt before that a little death. We have these ideas of who we are as a person, and we're always building it and rebuilding it. And we want people to think about us a certain way. I am smart. I am suffering. I am pretty. I am whatever it is. And if somebody challenges that idea that we have of ourselves, we'll defend it. I really am stupid. (laughs) I'm not smart. I didn't understand that. I really can't do this. (laughs) It's a little death. Every time you find yourself defending yourself, you've died in some way first. Every time you get embarrassed, it's a little death. Yeah, we feel it. You know, we feel like, ah. What would it be like, you know, if we embraced those moments of dying and allowed that part of ourselves that we keep creating and defending to dissolve, which is actually the Buddhist way. It's okay. No problem. I'm sorry? Oh, I'm sorry. Would you like, you know something, you could go to the other room. We have a couple of these and lie down. It's okay if you sleep. Okay. Thanks for explaining. So these little deaths is the path, actually, is our path. And in the beginning, we deal with more like psychological, gross, big emotions, greed and hate and big things. But as we pass through those big emotions, those things that we identify with as me, our ideas, our assumptions, our beliefs, and we begin to hold them more lightly, um, we're beginning to dissolve this way that we create a sense of separation in me. And then it gets subtler and subtler. It gets actually more difficult in a way because we get closer and closer, deeper and deeper to what we... uh, the core kind of beliefs of who we are. You know, like one of mine was, nobody's going to be there if I need them. Absolutely, totally true for me. You know, some people believe that they're a failure quietly to themselves.
In Buddhism, the deepest suffering that we name is called Sankara Dukkha. It's the suffering of feeling disconnected. A teacher of mine once called it this, this very quiet, underneath everything, scream. This scream underneath it all. It's very quiet, but it's there all the time. And it comes from this sense of disconnection, of dis-ease, of quietly thinking that our life is not enough, that somehow we've missed something, and that only if blah, 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 we would be happy. But we can never find the only if outside ourselves, because everything is changing. And as soon as you try to hold on to something, poof, it becomes unsatisfactory once you get it. I mean, my friend of mine once got a BMW. She'd wanted to get a BMW for years. She finally got this great car, BMW, spiffy, really neat. Really neat car, great to drive. I drove it out of Tassajara once, way too fast, <laughs> over a dirt road that took an, it's, it's only 14 miles. The dirt road is only 14 miles. It takes an hour and like 10 minutes to drive it well. 45 minutes, boom. Really stupid. It was really stupid. I was young. One of the reasons why it was so stupid was because of the edge, it's, on a, it's a mountain road. So on one side, the mountain goes up, and the other side goes down. You know? And if you don't drive it really well, and there are cars down at the bottom. Anyway, she loved this car. And then she wouldn't let anybody drive it, and she was really careful. Nobody could scratch it. Right? She was very, and then, you know, half a year later, you can drive it. It's OK. Here are the keys. She got used to it. It wasn't that same kind of satisfaction. You can't get satisfaction from outside things. A deep confirmation of yourself comes inside as we begin letting go of separation created by grasping, created by thinking that, that you and I are not fundamentally the same. So after my, after my best friend, my first best friend died, we were kind of a group. We came from the centipedes, all of us. We actually, there were a number of us who were friends from that age. Then my root teacher died. That was hard. And then after that, my other best friend died. You know, what happens when these people start dying <laughs> is that the part of you that was in relationship with them also dies. So, you know, and also Alice, that was her name, she carried all of my history, all of my youth. So I really resented when she died. <laughs> 
because um, a big chunk of me died then. And then my dad died. That wasn't too bad because he was older by that time. He was pretty old. So um, the part that was difficult for me about his death was that although I loved him and I knew that he loved me back, he was a very quiet man and didn't emotionally, wasn't really emotionally connectable with in some way. And so I never got to say to him that I really appreciated everything that he did for me in every way. He was a hard man to live with. He was full of um, pain. And sometimes he would get really angry. And I was really stubborn, and so we used to fight a lot. My mother would walk around in the morning sometimes with a big sign saying, BBB. It meant before breakfast blues. It meant that my dad didn't wake up on the good side of the bed <laughs> and that we needed to kind of tiptoe around him <laughs> until he had some breakfast. But sometimes when I was um, a teenager, I didn't feel like tiptoeing around. I was just as stubborn as he was, and I was just as angry. <laughs> and so we fought a lot. So even though I really took care of him when he died, I didn't actually get a chance to say how much I appreciated him and his effort to take care of me. And even though everybody says, my sister-in-law, my brother, and so on and so on, says that he knew because of the way I took care of him, because he was an action person rather than an emotional person, still I feel a little regret that I didn't actually say thank you. And now my sister's dying. So <laughs> um, when I die, I'm going to have all these people standing in front of me, welcoming me. To death. You know, maybe I, th I, think, I think it really is true that if we manage to die psychologically now, before we die physically, then we wouldn't be afraid of death at all. And, and that's actually what <laughs> that's actually what I'm trying to do. <laughs> what an odd, what an odd, uh, how odd. Anyway, losing a person you love, of course, brings a desperate sadness. But there's also a wonderful intimacy with life that happens. Because when you lose things, you, you, be, you really appreciate what you have. And we have so much to appreciate. You know, we have this moment that is full of everything we need. There's a, there's a uh, 
you know, we, sometimes we, we feel like we're longing to be loved. But it really isn't true. We're longing not to be loved, but to be love. That's what we really want. We want to feel that kind of openness and tenderness that we feel when we love somebody. That's why we kind of grab onto the person and hold them there, because we think that that feeling of love is dependent on them, but it isn't. We actually, love comes from a much deeper place than just, I want that. And when you're close to death, you get to feel that, that, because it makes everything more precious. And you, 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 you care about each pe- person you meet, each smell and flower and taste. And because you know that it's going to be gone. So it's a wonderful time. You really have to stay present in the moment. And when someone dies who is dying in that way, there's a wonderful presence in the room of that person, a great peace that's available to everybody all the time. But when a person is fighting and feels separate from their own death, even these little deaths, or a big death, then there's a great deal of suffering in the room because of that disconnection, because of that fundamental suffering. Anyway, this, this sense of disconnection is just a misperception. It actually isn't true. <laughs> And that's what Buddhism addresses. Buddhism actually addresses this sense of separation. First by seeing how we grasp, we try to grasp things that are ungraspable, that are changing all the time. And then more deeply to understanding that there's no separation, there's no me and other people in the first place. That's what Buddhism is about. Walking through birth and death together, dissolving this sense of separation. It's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. It's really hard, but it's pretty straightforward. So we have everything that we need to do this. We have teachings. We have people to do it with. And we already are everything that we're looking for. So every time you're embarrassed, you know, open to that. Let yourself die a little bit. 
every time you find yourself defending, being defensive, open to that. Embrace that, because that's a little death of the one who makes you feel separate. Not true. And if we can keep dying little deaths like that, and by the time we get to big death, maybe we'll already be gone. Fully identified. Identified is really the wrong word, but I can't find another word. But this whole path is really a question of changing your identity from the stuff that goes through your mind, from the content of your mind, the passing stuff, to life. This is what we are. (laughs) Do we just change our identity from small to really big? From separate to whole? Not that separate uniqueness isn't still there. It is. And you can appreciate it more. Because then everything is so fabulously itself. And the same at the same time. Different, obviously. But deeper, the same. The same time. So here's the last poem I want to leave you with. It's by Mark Nepo. Having loved enough and lost enough, I am no longer searching, just opening. No longer trying to make sense of pain, but trying to be a soft and sturdy home in which real things can land. These are the irritations that rub into a pearl. So we can talk for a while, but then we must listen the way rocks listen to the sea. And we can churn at all that goes wrong. But then we must lay all distractions down and water every living seed. And yes, on nights like tonight, I too feel alone, but seldom do I face it squarely enough to see that it's a door into the endless breath that has no breather, into the surf that human shells call God. Isn't that a great poem? You want to hear it again? (laughs) It's called Yes We Can by Mark Nepo. Having loved enough and lost enough, I am no longer searching, just opening. No longer trying to make sense of pain, but trying to be a soft and sturdy home in which real things can land. These are the irritations that rub into a pearl. So we can talk for a while But then we must listen the way rocks listen to the sea. And we can churn at all that goes wrong. But then we must lay all distractions down and water every living seed.
And yes, on nights like tonight, I too feel alone. But seldom do I face it squarely enough to see that it's a door into the endless breath that has no breather into the surf that human shells call God. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.